Welcome to the Logos Dialogues. I'm Alan. And I'm Michelle. And we're here to engage in truth-seeking dialogues about the Logos of God. Hi, fellow truth seekers. You know, in the last two episodes of the Lotus Dialogues, we talked about the plan B fallacy and the sixth day. And I think the question that came out of that was, why didn't God just create Adam as a spiritual man? That's right. And you know, uh, it, it, it has to do with this idea of how God planted humanity into creation with a physical body, you know, with this natural body. That's, that's a key part of what's going on. But but why did he do it that way? Let's read those scriptures in uh, yeah. 1 Corinthians. It talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 44 to 49. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man... So are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And of course, that goes back once again to the image, Jesus Christ being the image. Absolutely. And yet, again, he couldn't just bring us to that image before we went to the earthly man. And you kind of have to ask that question again. You know, can't you just skip the first step? But, you know, the, the question comes down to love, you know. Mm -hmm. Without love in the equation, maybe this could all have been done without two steps. But love is critical to understanding the problem with why you have to first start off in stage one. Um, What's love got to do with it? Yeah. <laughs> There are some great scriptures that explain that. And um, they are the love chapters in the Bible, you know. Mm -hmm. Can you read those? Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That is an amazing scripture. It makes it clear, right? Without love, we are nothing. Without love, we gain nothing. And yet this concept of love comes from God. And we have to ask the question, really, is it the same concept when we talk about God's love and our love? Because, you know, two people who are in love, you know, the idea is they become one. Love is this powerful force that brings two people together to make them one. But if one person has one level of love 
and another person doesn't have that same level of love, there's a problem. Yeah, because doesn't the Bible talk about that we have to be equally yoked? That's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's all, it's all the context of marriage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Marriage. If you want to be married to somebody, hopefully you two, the two can become one. And this is something that won't happen without the right kind of love. You know, let's read that scripture about marriage in Genesis. Okay, Genesis 2, 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So from the very beginning, there was oneness that was supposed to happen between Adam and Eve. Yet, if Adam or Eve is not up for the same kind of love, in other words, if Adam and Eve didn't choose the love, Right. If they didn't choose to be together, you know, it's not going to be the kind of oneness if they if they chose it. God makes it clear. He wants us to choose him. You know that that scripture about choose me in in in, 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 in Joshua 24, 15. Yeah, yep. that's that. when that's when the challenge is made to the people of Israel. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God wants us to choose. God wants us to make a choice. He doesn't want to make the choice for us. He could make the choice for us, but that would be like a shotgun wedding, right? Mm -hmm. That would be like somebody who's being forced into a marriage. You can make the choice for God, or you can make the choice not for God. And so that's the challenge. We have this challenge. Love is involved. Mm-hmm. But a mm-hmm. choice mm-hmm. is also involved. And we need to be understanding that this choice, this marriage choice, is what creation. It's a mystery, right? Mm-hmm. It's a mystery. But it's involved in what's going on in creation. Ephesians really mm-hmm. gets at this. Mm-hmm. Yep, Ephesians 5, 31 to 32 and 25 to 27. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Yes, it sounds like this is saying that um, Christ has to do something in order to get us to be at the level that he's at. That's right. Yeah, because God wants us in this marriage, but God also wants us to have the same level of love, the same level of purity that he he has, that his son has. And we don't have it. We don't have it. And there's a good reason that we don't have it. But but, but before we talk about that, when we get to that level, it's going to be so beautiful. Is if As God is getting us from where we are now to where we need to be, it's this amazing example of how when a husband and a wife come together, it's just such a beautiful ceremony when they become one. That's what it shows in Revelations. Can you, can you read that? Revelations 19.9. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God.
So this sounds like what we were talking about before. This sounds like it's the end of the sixth day. That's right. Because in the end of the sixth day, it's very good, right? Because man is in the image of God. There's a, a, a similarity between man and God. And because we're in the image of God, in the perfect image of God, we're equally yoked. I mean, we can be yoked with, with God, the, the Son, with Jesus, in a marriage that we wouldn't be able to be in if we weren't that way. If, if he hadn't cleansed us, right. if he hadn't made us. It has to do with what Jesus, what Jesus is doing for us, like what it said in the Ephesians in the Ephesian scripture where he's cleansing us and, and he's doing the work. He's really. doing the work. Yeah. Without that work, yeah. we're not ready for this right. marriage ceremony. Yet, yeah. we aren't there yet. And why aren't we there? Well, we need him, first of all, to do the cleansing and the washing. It has absolutely. to be the work of Jesus that causes that to happen, first yes, of all. Yes, absolutely. And we've got a problem making perfect choices. You know, we've got a problem doing what God does, living like God lives, you know. There's a scripture that talks about this. Uh, Matthew seven thirteen to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, there's an analogy that I think gets to the heart of this, right? God is perfect in every way. He's like a straight line that goes off to eternity, right? He's infinite in one direction and in the other direction. He's, he's, he's like that line that has no beginning and no end. And we're like line segments. We have a beginning and an end. And we also have choice, the ability to make choices, right? We can choose to do things that aren't always what God would have us do. You know, we can make choices that are my will, not thy will, not God's will. And that means we go off away from the line with every choice. Every choice we make that's not a choice for God. You know, every choice we make that's different than his will. Every time we decide just a little differently, we get further and further away. And the problem is that, you know, this continues to take us away from the, the, the relationship that God wants us to have with him and the eternal life that he wants mm -hmm. us to have. It reminds me of a, a famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Mm -hmm. And um, some words in it are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Yeah, the thing is, is that in our natural state, we're just prone to wander. I mean, that is just who we are. We're prone to wander away from God. And, you know, I, I have to say it, you know, if we're wandering away from God, we are not loving God the way God loves us. You know, we think we are. We think we know what love is. But God really is the only one who understands truly what love is on that straight line, what, what true love is, what God's love is. You know, there's some scriptures that really get to this. Yep. First, first John 4.10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. First John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. And Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I always am just struck by this particular verse where it says, while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. So it's clear it has nothing to do with anything that we did. We didn't deserve it. Right. We're not good people and therefore right. God loved us because we're so good. Right. It's while we were still sinners, Christ died right. for us. While we're these line segments that are going away, mm-hmm. that are that are making decisions that don't follow the same path as God. We're we're going off and what does God do? He loves us in spite of it. And then he finds a way. You know, and so it's a funny thing. Not only does he die for us in order to pay for our sins, he finds a way to connect us to him. To make a, you know, it's, it's sort of like this idea. You know, the sun is a star going through the universe. And yet there's all these planets around it that are kind of going in their own way. Yet these planets have found a way to be in an orbit around the sun. So that even though the earth or Mars or, or Jupiter are, are different in the way they do it, they all still orbit the sun. So as the sun goes on a path through the universe, or as the sun is going, we, in these, as a planet around the, the sun, are, are circling the sun and, and, and following the sun mm-hmm. while it's going on its straight path. In some way, God finds a, an answer for us to connect us to him in such a way that we orbit him as he is going on the so straight path. So we don't path. just go off into another part of right. the universe. Somehow God knows how to do this. Yeah. And he actually explains it to us a little bit in Matthew 11. Yep, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, it's just amazing. We, we started talking earlier about how a real marriage takes two people being equally really yoked. yoked yep. You know, we, we need two people to have the same kind of love, the same level of love. If, if one is, is loving more and one is loving less, there's going to be problems. But, but how do we do that? Well, well, Jesus says he has a yoke. Mm-hmm. Somehow he can connect us to him and yoke us to him in a way that I believe is like that, that kind of being in his orbit, creating a, a way for us to be attached to him. Almost like when you throw out a, a lifeline, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and a person is sinking. Yeah. They grab the lifeline and all of a sudden they're not sinking anymore. They're able to be connected to that ship that, that is their lifeline. You know, people may not understand this, but that metaphor of a yoke is the metaphor of when two ox are Mm -hmm. are in a field and they're Mm -hmm. plowing a field. You know, the two oxen can plow that field. They can drag that, 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 that plow behind them better if there's two of them than if there's just one. But if they don't have anything attaching them to each other, one will go in one direction and the other will go in the other. But so... So what the, what, the, what the farmer does is put a yoke between them so that between their necks, they're, they're attached. That's what a yoke is. It attaches two people, two, two animals, two, two, you know, two, two ox together so they can, can move in the same direction. And Jesus is saying he has a way to do that with us. Mm-hmm. Now, how does he do that with us? It's, it's, there's, there's more to it. We have to be willing. We have to say yes. But we have to do more than just say yes. And we're going to talk about that in the next dialogue you know lip service Mm -hmm. is not what this is about you know it's not about just saying 
Yes. Or saying, well, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Like, what yeah. does that really mean? What does that really yeah. mean? It's yeah. the first step of actually taking a journey with mm-hmm. Christ. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a lot of people who take, who, who, who do the lip service, who say the words, but who don't take the journey. Mm-hmm. And we want to see what, what it means to take that journey. So, we're going to talk about this. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, in our next dialogue. <laughs> and I hope they're looking forward too. So, this is our challenge to you, too. Join us for the Logos Dialogues.